How long have you been tattooing, Charlie? Uh, 66 years now. So now we're tattooed by Owen Jensen, Burt Graham, Fred Thornton, Don Nolan. It was just like magic being there. You had to be quite competent to work with a, a single needle. There was no way to fake it. You either had it or you didn't have it. I just want some place where people can actually learn the history of American tattooing. I mean, if tattooing has been good to you, I think we should be good to tattooing. Hi, everybody. Steph Bastian here. Today we sit down with, uh, well, basically a legend. Good time, Charlie. Charlie created, together with Jack Rudy, what you would call today fine line. They developed the single needle style and all that branch of black and gray work. It's because of them if today we do certain things in a certain way. So I'm definitely grateful to be able to sit down with him and listen to his stories directly from him. Today, Charlie created the Tattoo Heritage Project with a very influential and talented group, uh, including people like Kerry Barba and Jack Rudy, just to name a few. With this project, Charlie is aiming at building a museum in Long Beach to preserve the history of American tattooing and uh, educate people about the roots of this style. So if you would like to support, and please do, you will find all the links in the description of the podcast so that you can reach out to him and uh, support this project. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. How long have you been tattooing, Charlie? Uh, 66 years now. I started at 15 years of age doing hand poking. Okay, and that was where? In Wichita, Kansas. Okay. Can you, can you remember the very first time you saw a tattoo? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I did see a lot of uh, homemade tattoos that were hand poked on the different gang members around town. Uh, but the first professional tattoos uh, is really what pushed me into it. Uh, the first ones I saw, I was um, standing on a corner waiting to catch the last bus out of town uh, at night. And uh, on the opposite corner from me was an old man catching the last bus going the other direction. And so I yelled across the street and I said, do you have any light, uh, a lighter or some matches? I've got a cigarette, but no matches. And he said, yeah, I got a light. So I ran over there. And when I leaned in to light my cigarette from his Zippo lighter that he fired up, I was looking at the V in, his, in the uh, open shirt of his on his chest and and he had like a vine and a lot of dark stuff up there. And I said, so how many tattoos you got? And he said, one. And I said, well, let me see it. So he starts unbuttoning the sleeve of his long sleeve shirt. And I thought, well, this guy's lying to me. He's going to show me something on his arm. And he's got, he's got things on his chest. Well, he took his shirt off and I just blew my mind. 
he had he was totally tattooed like a jungle and he had every beast you could imagine in the jungle and as part of the scenery and it was just amazing to me it was just it was like being in africa and 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 i i just stared at that and i said wow i have to figure out how you do that <laughs> i guess you've never seen something like this right Right. That was the first guy I'd ever seen. I lived in middle America, very conservative uh, area of the country. And and nobody really was tattooed like that on a regular basis. But And I didn't even really have a conversation with him after that because the bus came and I had to run across the street. But um, anyway, that's what inspired me to pursue tattooing. Because I thought, wow, look at that. That's that's really something. I gotta, I not, I need to know how to do that. And so, uh, the only thing I ever had seen before was gang tattoos, and so I just started doing them that way. And uh, because there was nobody locally that you could learn from professionally, it was outlawed in my city uh, for many years prior to that, and. Uh, They had only had two tattooers professionally before that. And they had some gypsies tattooing in the back of a bar. And also an old man that tattooed in a trailer behind the biggest hotel in town. But the the police eventually shut both of them down because they would tattoo kids that were 12, 13 years old. Just if you had the money, they didn't care how old you were the police stopped tattooing locally there professionally for years. And so I didn't really have anybody to learn from at all. And so I just started tattooing out of my car, doing a hand poke, but I did it every day. And so much uh, that I became quite fast with, by doing them by hand, I could, I could, I could put them on almost as fast by hand as he could with a machine because I could just move right along. And I used multiple needles on popsicle sticks to do bigger areas, larger black areas, cover-ups and stuff. So I figured out how to tattoo uh, by hand before I, for several years before I was ever exposed to machines. When I got a machine even, It was a homemade rig and I didn't like it. So I went back to hand tattooing again. And that, so I did that for several years and I was quite content to do that. I moved to California eventually. And um, when I was 20 years old, I came to California to stay. And, uh, but I still tattooed by hand locally because in uh, California, because Nobody would talk to me professionally if I asked them anything. They just gave me the cold shoulder. No matter what I asked them about tattooing, nobody would help me out. And so even though I got tattooed many times by a lot of these professional tattooers, they still would not give me the answers that I needed or wanted. And so I, uh, for several years, I still continued to do that tattoo by hand in the Los Angeles area. But I finally, after several years, I, I told my wife, I said, you know, I've just got to figure this out because 
uh, I'm not coming home until I've, I've, I've got some answers. And so I went back down to the pike where, where I had been tattooed many times and knew a lot of those guys. And, and, uh, and I just, I walked into one shop at West coast tattoo on the midway. And, uh, it was a very carnival type atmosphere. And I walked in there into one shop and I, I, I started asking questions from the guy and he, and he froze up on me too. He wouldn't answer anything. And I said, Hey man, I know how to tattoo. Okay. I just, I just, I, I just want to know some more answers about professional tattooing. And, and so the guy, a guy came out of the back room, Jimbo Laporte was half owner of the shop. And he came out and said, so you know how to tattoo, huh? And I said, yeah. And he said, I said, but I don't know nothing about those machines. And he says, well, you take, you take some skin with you down to 5th and Main, and we'll see what you can do. And he told me when to go. And so I asked one of my uh, clients before uh, that I had tattooed before and his brother and several people that he knew. I, I told him, I said, go with me downtown. They want to see what I can do. And he said, okay. So anyway, I walked into the shop and, and Zeke Owen was the only uh, person in the shop at the time. And he's a very well-known ta American tattooer at the time. And, uh, and he said, you must be Charlie. And I go, yeah. And he says, well, here's the setup, man. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee and a hamburger and I'll be back. So he just left me there with him, with Tony. And so I, I said, well, okay, here we go. And so I, I put some mushrooms on his leg and, uh, and I said, I never worked with color. Do you want any of this color? And he said, okay. So I put some color in it and he asked me if, um, if I would put, in Spanish, Ongo Sagrados, which is sacred mushrooms written under it. And I said, okay. So after I cleaned his leg up, here came Zeke walking back in. And he said, wow, guy's been tattooing 10 years. Don't tattoo like that. And, and I said, yeah. And he said, I knew you had it when you walked through the door. And I go, yeah. And he says, and by the way, I've never let anybody ever work with my machines before. And I go, well, thanks, man. <laughs> and so he said, it's obvious you know what to do. And he says, uh, but I would encourage you, since you've never tattooed around other people or learned from any, anything from anybody, I would encourage you to work with other people for at least a year or two. Because I told him, I said, I'm going to open my own shop when I figure this out, these machines. And he said, well, you need to work with other people a little bit, I think, just to pick up a few extra little uh, tricks that, you know, tricks of the trade that that other people may know that you don't. And you'll benefit from it. So work with other people for a year or two. And I said, all right. So I did. And um, that they then, so I was there maybe three months or so, and they transferred me back down to the, to the pike where I had first walked in and asked questions. And so that's where they sent me. And, uh, 
and I was there for a couple of years. Uh, I, I I did what he said. I worked with other these other guys and learned all the to me some, all the wrong stuff a lot of times. <laughs> but a lot of times I I learned the right stuff, and so I I do believe that everybody knows stuff that that would benefit you if, if you put it in practice or, you know, put it in your quiver and used it once in a while. Uh, I, I think everybody has some knowledge. Uh, I remember one guy telling me, I didn't learn a damn thing when I apprenticed with so-and-so, but you know what I did learn? He taught me how to be a businessman, <laughs> but I didn't learn anything about that doing from the guy. So I realized <laughs> that there are, things you can learn from other people. And so that's what I, uh, for a couple of years I did, I, I, I listened to these other guys and like I said, put some of it in practice. And then I went on to open it up in East LA uh, because I kept saying East LA was tattoo heaven. And this is the early seventies, right? Yeah. 1975. Yeah. Let me let me ask you, like, how was the what do you remember about the pike in these days? The first time you got there, how was it? Because you got tattooed by some of the best, like uh oh, yeah. you know, Bert Green, Owen Jensen, and how was it? Well, uh when I first went there, I had I, I well I actually got tattooed in San Diego uh when I, I joined the Navy when I was 19, but it didn't last very long. Uh, they, they got rid of me pretty quick when they realized I wasn't military material. And, uh, but I did put on a lot of tattoos while I was in there in boot camp, even behind the lockers on Sunday, I tattooed a lot of those guys. And so on, when I had Liberty from boot camp, I went to uh, downtown San Diego and actually got tattooed. My first professional tattoo was by Tahiti Felix Lynch. And uh, and so I and I was tattooed also by Painless Nell and her her sister Joe, or was her actually her cousin, but they worked in tandem with each other. They had a bucket shop, you know, where you had Listerine water and and the bucket and the sponge and so forth and one outline and one shaded <laughs> and so that was fun uh, but anyway i got it tattooed a, a few times in san diego but but when i went to the pike i went north to San long beach there and when i went to the pike there was they said there was 13 tattoo shops in that area and i don't know where all of them were but i went to several of them and uh um, and I was tattooed by, uh, I think the very first time I went there, I think I was tattooed by Bert Grimm himself, uh, in his shop. And I went back numerous times and I was tattooed by Owen Jensen, Bert Grimm, Fred Thornton, Don Nolan. It was just like magic being there. That was really the, the headquarters, I would say, of most West Coast tattooing in America. And uh, the headquarters were all these superstars that became well-known over the years for their craft. But, yeah, anyway, I was tattooed by – it was just amazing being in that shop, though, because 
there was, uh, at that time, there was half a million, I'm going to say, they called them white hats. They were guys in the Navy. There was half a million stationed there around Long Beach and, and uh, next door, San Pedro and all the ports there of Los Angeles and Long Beach were just filled with sailors. And so the, we, there was half a million of them. So the shop was always full of sailors. And, um, and so when I worked there at the Pike later on down the, in the neck, two blocks over from Burke Graham's at West Coast, I remember even when I was there, there was uh, not near as many sailors, but there was a lot of merchant seamen that came in there. They were sailors, but they were merchant, you know. Uh, and uh, so I remember tattooing many of these guys from Finland and Norway and all these different countries. And it was quite, it was quite uh, an international port there. So these guys would come around up the coast of South America and they'd never hit port till they got to, to, the, to the States. And so they had pockets full of money and they wanted to get tattooed and get drunk and and so I've, I've seen these guys literally line up when I would tell them, well, it's going to be, this guy wants a snake all the way around his stomach, you know, all the way around him. And it's going to be a couple of hours before I can even talk to you, you know. So these guys would just line up with a, sometimes with a fifth or a, or a half gallon of, of vodka. And they would just sit there and sip it like it was seven up. You know, waiting their turn. All of them had their own bottle, and they would just be lined up, waiting their turn. But then nobody got rowdy or you know, uh, in fights. They behaved. It, it be was just. Behaved. It was great. <laughs> yeah, and they had plenty of money. I mean, it was that was that was really a paradise with tattooers right there, the Pike. Wow. And when did you open your shop? You said, so you moved to L.A. Uh, when you 75? Well, I, I went to, yeah, I opened the shop there in 1975. I had, uh, I, I knew it was time. In fact, for a solid year before I, I, I opened up there, I used every Sunday for a year, I would take a drive down Whittier Boulevard and uh, looking for a, a potential spot and uh and i and when i found the the spot i knew it i knew it was the right one because i just felt the hair go up on the back of my neck and i thought that's it and uh so as it turned out i took jack with me who was um jack rudy he became quite a, a known guy and his over the years, but he first came to me at the Pike with a with a friend of his, and he had drawn something on him, and asked me if I could tattoo it. And I said, "Well, yeah." And he said, uh, "And we would it be okay if we just did it black because that's uh that's the way he wants it." And and I said, "Well, that's better anyway. That's the way I like them." And and so that kind of blew their mind that I just like black tattoos. And uh, so we became 
we hit it off right away and he started bringing me customers. Oh, I don't know, several over the, a few months time. And after uh, one session, when I was tattooing his friend and they left, I was cleaning up the shop and I picked up a piece of cardboard that he'd been scribbling on while he was waiting. And I thought, wow, this guy's got like eight or 10 styles of cholo writing on here. And he's got some realism over here on the side and he's got some excellent script writing. And, uh, and, and so and a lot of cartooning, it was just a real sample, an artist sample of this guy's abilities. And I thought, man, this guy has got something to contribute to the world. And so, and he was a white, white boy, but he was raised by a Mexican guy uh, who adopted him. So he was totally familiar with the living in SoCal. He was totally familiar with the, uh, the Latin or the Hispanic, you know, uh, influence in that area. And, uh, and so I thought, well, this guy's a perfect, you know, candidate for uh, working in East Los Angeles. And that's where I, I just knew it would be good. And I told him, I said, that's what I was thinking of doing. And he said, man, I'm all for it. I, I think that's great. And so I told him, but don't ever call me up and ask me when we're going to get started. Because I says, uh, you give me your mother or your grandmother's phone number. And when the time is right, I'll call you. But if you even ask me once, when are we going to get started? It's off. And, and he said, okay, man. And so he never did bug me about it, but he did, he brought me another client or two and never even talked about it, you know? And then when the time was right, I called him up and, and we took off and we, we were probably, oh, maybe two weeks into setting up the area, the shop, the way I wanted it. And, um, and he said, man, people keep driving me crazy. When are we opening? When are we opening? And I said, I said, well, okay, just set that guy down over there and start. Let's just start right now. And so <laughs> we did. We just took off whether we were ready or not. It was good from then on. It was just great. It was just, it was made to be. It, it, was, uh, it was good from the gate. And, it, uh, and I knew it would be. Why wouldn't it be? Because Chicanos love tattoos. And I knew the kind they liked. I knew that subject matters that they enjoyed and, and uh, I like, I knew I've been around Mexicans all my life in Texas and Kansas too. And so uh, I ran around with them and dated them and ended up marrying one, a Mexican girl. But so I, I even speak more Spanish than a lot of Mexican people from that are Chicanos here uh, in the States. Uh, so anyway, it was no problem for me uh, being in, in L.A., uh, in that community. It, I could talk to any of them. And uh, so it worked out great. And I thank God for it. That who, who, who would even imagine that it could even turn out so well? But uh, all I wanted to do was just, as I've said before, 
I didn't want to set the woods on fire. I just wanted to start a little blaze in the homies' hearts. (laughs) (laughs) And so I never dreamed it would become a worldwide phenomenon like a great tattooing, you know? (laughs) Yeah, because you guys, you guys became a reference from for what you know today is known in fine line. So yeah. I guess that people came from all over the place to meet you and learn yeah. things and. Huh? Right. Yeah, it was it, all the old timers to begin with. They they kept telling me, "Well, that's not going to last. Those those fine lines aren't going to last." And I said. Well, I'm looking at this, and I hand poked this in there so many years ago, and I'm still looking at it. So, what do you mean it's not going to last? You know, and and so uh, the thing was, you just had to work a little slower, and uh, and you had to be quite competent to work with a, a single needle. There was no way to fake it. You either had it or you didn't have it. You know, it was very obvious from the gate. You know, if you if you couldn't control that thing and it was it was it was a real challenge for a lot of the old timers who were used to real fat lines you know that you could well you could correct anything with those big fat crayons that they used you know (laughs) it was just like I, i just thought this is just child's play anyway when you're working with those big fat lines you can't it can hardly go wrong you know but so Anyway, it was, um, it, the old timers were very skeptical to begin with, but then they saw what happened, that it was catching on and that it was, uh, it, it was, well, it was the thing to learn. It was the new thing. And so uh, a lot of the old timers that, that tried it and uh, were quite proficient at it with, if they pursued it, they pursued it for a while, but uh, nearly all of them went back over time, back to bold, bold lines. And so very few uh, of the old cats that tried to adapt that stayed with it. Me and Jack continued with the single needle, though. But I graduated after I sold the shop to Ed Hardy, uh, and moved back to Kansas to cross culture my kids. I I I went to a, a single 10, single number 10 needle on the needle bar because you could you could put it on there with no stiffeners or no uh, extra support. And which we the three needle that was converted into the single by pulling out the one of them farther and using the other two for support. That that was uh, how you had to do it with the number 12 needle. But w- with a 10, you could put it direct, solder it directly on a needle bar. And, and it just, it was a little bit bolder, but still it was a very fine line, but you could rock, really rock, rock out with it. That's what I did. Nice. I, I stayed with the 10, a single 10 for the rest of my career. Wow. And, and I'm sure that, you know, with this year's, I'm sure you formed some friendships that, you know, lasted years, huh? Oh, yeah. In that place. Sure. Yeah, me and Jack are still, we still talk with each other, and that was 46 years ago, you know? And, <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm real, I was real proud of him. Uh, he turned out to be great, and uh, 
contribute much to the to the uh, single needle progress, I guess, popularity. And 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 the, my I only had two apprentices in Los Angeles that that uh, I started off, and one of them was Jack Rudy, and the other one was Mike uh, Creeper. We called him. And uh, anyway, both of those guys were my only two apprentices, I guess one would say, in Los Angeles. And then I also had Lady Blue work for me, who I had worked with her at the Pike. And I kept telling her East L.A. was tattoo heaven. And, and so eventually I heard her to uh, work over there, too. That's what made up my crew in East LA, those three. What would you say is the thing that you're the most grateful, you know, to tattooing for giving you, you know, in your life? Well, for one thing, I'm very grateful that it has given me a living, uh, a, a very good living, I must say. And uh, besides the, uh, obvious support that you know the financial aspect of it all i have made many friendships through the years that have continued and uh and it, it is a uh a wonderful thing to be able to be i guess you'd say so independent because to me tattooers were the ultimate pirate you could do your own thing and operate any way you want. And it seems like, well, almost any way you want. And, and you would still get clients. I mean, it just, it just seemed to me like no matter what kind of a character you were, and even you could even almost have an inferior product, but still, if you were the right kind of a, a person and with the public, you could still make a living uh, doing it. And, and even though you weren't, uh, there was many of them who were not artistic at all in their tattooing, but yet they made good livings simply by being a stencil jockey, you know? And I, that was another thing I never understood when I started is these guys can't draw. What the hell is, are we doing here? You know, because they're just tracing things. They're all just working off stencils and, and that, and that was new to me because I didn't even know what stencils were as a kid. You know, I just drew directly on people. And and I've stood, and I, I still like that way because I've stood out in the sun and drawn their motorcycles on them, drawn their vans on them or their car on them. And, and, uh, and I just drew from life, you know. And so I did portraits without stencil with, with the lady sitting next to them, you know, and I would just look at them and, and sketch it on them. So I was, uh, I was a freehand tattooer and that separated me greatly from most of them anyway, because most all of the tattooers I knew that I was exposed to the professionals, they just pulled out a, an acetate stencil and, printed it right on you, you know, and, and, uh, and, but they weren't very artistic at all. You know, they just, and later on, I came to appreciate the, the what I would call the carny approach to tattooing. I've come to uh, appreciate it somewhat because 
now I see you, I, I eventually came to understand why the designs were so simple, you know, because they wanted to put them on real fast and they could make, you know, just a couple of little lines and a, have the cutest little mouth, so tiny, you know, but I, I, I thought, well, you know, there was a, there was some art, art, some real art involved in their thinking too, to, they could make such simple little eyes look so, so good in such a little area, you know, but uh, that was the whole thing that kind of mystified me to begin with too was, and, and I was very hesitant, hesitant to enter tattooing because I thought these guys aren't artists, you know, they just, they're just uh, tattooers. And, well, I came to appreciate tattooers, <laughs> <laughs> the, the non-artistic as well as the artistic, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, you, you had to learn a lot of things on your own, as you said, especially in those days, it was very difficult to get information. So it wasn't easy, right? Uh, uh, I guess, you know, did this give you more appreciation, like growing up this way and having to figure out things on your own? Because I think that when you have it not too easy, you come out stronger the other hand, the other end, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think just like he said, like Zeke told me, you know, you can learn things from other people that that you don't know that are going to benefit you down the road, you know. So I can't point to any specific thing right now, but I'm sure that just, that just uh, all of them probably had an effect on me. Iron sharpens iron and when you're working around other people. Some of it's got to rub off, you know. Um, well, I didn't adapt all. I didn't adapt anything that I felt was wrong. Like I, I never did understand half of the old timers that would. They might outline it, the design, and then just leave you sitting there bleeding for thirty minutes while they go next door and drink a beer, and watch t and leave you sitting there watching TV, bleeding, just sitting there bleeding. You know, I never did. I never did understand that kind of attitude. To me, that was. That was very uh, egotistical, asshole <laughs> type <laughs> operation to do that. I mean, I, I never understood that, but there was a lot of guys like that that were, uh, you know, just the, the kind of the get over guys. I always thought they were, there's a lot of them like that, that just, you know, they were just, uh, well, they didn't press, practice good ethics, I didn't think, you know, but they didn't care because. They were their own boss, and they, they just that's that was a way with a lot of early tattooers. They were just jerks, and they they knew they could treat you any way they want. Who was going to correct them? You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, now, after so many years, uh, you know, with all the things that you've given, you know, to tattooing, now you taking a different approach, trying to preserve the history of it with the Tattoo Heritage Project, right? Do you want to tell a little bit what that is? Yes, uh, well, it's an effort to establish a, what I would like to call a worldwide museum in Long Beach, California. Uh, since it has such a history of tattooing, and um, I believe the oldest tattoo shop on the West Coast was in Long Beach itself. Um, and so I think that's a good place for a museum. And I, I just want a place where people can come from anywhere in the world and, uh, 
and acquire some somewhat of an education about the history of tattooing uh, in America. Uh, right now in the United States, there are many small, what we would call museums that are established in local shops. And they're just like many museums and there's hundreds of them, I'm sure. Uh, but I want some place that, that people will come from everywhere to look at and uh, appreciate. And so I wanted to do something that would emphasize American tattooing and its contribution to the world. We have the Asians and the, all the Polynesians and so forth that, who have made their contributions. But And I want to recognize them too, of course. But I want this to be an emphasis on American tattooing. And so that's my what I'm trying to do now is establish uh, enough support to get it rolling from the tattooers and tattoo fans and enthusiasts all over the world. If they'll support this, I mean, if tattooing has been good to you, I think we should be good to tattooing and give back in, in terms of not just contributions with items to look at, but money to support the place and and help educate the world. I mean, right now, tattoos have exploded in popularity in the last 15 or 20 years. It's become unbelievable. And there are so many in the business right now who are just completely ignorant of what happened five years ago, even. They're just brand new babies in the business. And so anyway, I just want some place where people can actually learn the history of American tattooing on a pretty widespread basis. Uh, and so I have I have some uh, some interest in it, of course, and seeing it happen on a personal level. But I'd like to see other people get involved in it. And I think there's enough people out there to support it quite easily if they would just all chip in a little bit. Yeah, so there, there is a link and there is a website where they can contact and they can uh, support you, right? Yeah, there's, um, in, in fact, there's a website that's, that has some historical content to it. I mean, there's a lot of photographs and stuff of different people in the past. I guess that's where one should go first to look at it. And you're in this with like very other uh, big name like yourself, right? Like uh, Jack Rudy, Cady Barba, Corey Miller. I read uh, Chewy Quintanar, J.D. Crow, right? Yeah, these are all, I ask all of them to be board members and uh, each one of them, well, I didn't want it to just be a good time Charlie family thing, even though what's wrong with that? Uh, uh, what would be wrong with that? Because Jack, of course, is my family, and Chewy also, and Corey Miller. Uh, those guys are all part of my family. And, and J.D. Crow's a lifelong friend. And Carrie Barba, she should... J.D. Crow, he's from the East Coast, so I wanted somebody over there to represent us that has some knowledge and connections. And so I uh, asked him. And then also Carrie Barba, she, she has Burt Grimm's historical shop you know so uh obviously it was uh not only the i guess the, the right thing to do ethically but she really knows 
by being established there for several years, she knows of the city and has all these connections with the different different people that you should be talking to. And so uh, all of them are great. They've contributed to the tattoo history themselves independently, every one of them. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that any of them even care to be involved with me, you know, because I, I love them all and, and, th- and thank God that they're are gonna be a part of it all. But they are, I believe, a key to the success of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what would you say that, you know, in all this long career and, you know, uh, what would you say that is the best thing that you have learned or the best advice that you received that you have used in life, you know, that you used a lot and you still go back to it? Well, I'll say this. I used to, as a young tattooer, obviously, you, you became quite upset when someone opened up on you down the street or uh, around the corner or something from you. And because you always felt like there wasn't enough to go around, uh, even though I never ran out of skin, I, I, I never did like to see another tattooer open up because to me, they were just taking part of your business. But now uh, it seems like no matter how many there are, there's plenty of takers still. And so there's, so I don't believe there's too many tattooers anymore. For the, there's a, a, a never-ending crowd willing to uh, receive them. So I can't say that there's too many tattooers anymore because they keep getting on the a never-ending train, it looks like. Uh, and And... I'll say this, 35 years ago, no more than that even, 37, 38 years ago, I wouldn't even hire my own cousin's kid who was a real freak on tattoos because I said, no, the bus is full already. Well, now it's not a bus. It's a never-ending train. So, so there is enough to go around regardless because obviously the uh, ever shop that I visit anymore are just doing killer business. And so that tells me that there's not too many tattooers. <laughs> that even though I think there's too many, and everybody I see in the world over here has tattoos now, and you don't know who they came from. You know, I, uh, one, one lady from England that I was doing an interview with, she, she asked me about that. Uh, and I said about, you know, the popularity of tattoos over here and I said well you know when you stand behind some lady at at the market some soccer mom that's fully sleeved and and maybe all totally covered well for all you know little Annie six doors down from you might have been the one who installed all of those tattoos (laughs) because everybody's a tattooer now and that's really kind of what blew my mind when so many kept doing it, kept get, getting on the bus. So, so one thing I've learned is that no matter how many tattooers there are anymore, it doesn't matter. There's because uh, there's plenty of eligible skin out there. It seems okay. like, 
Awesome. Okay, Charlie, this, uh, this was, a, was a pleasure. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, making the time and sharing this because, you know, it's an honor to talk to you and uh, you sharing those things with us. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me and, and uh, maybe I'll see you someday. Uh, yeah, hopefully. Um, anybody that's out there that has tattoos and wants to be a part of this uh, tattoo museum effort, well, I sure would appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, you know, when you're right in the, is in the heart, when your heart is in the right place, I'm sure that, you know, good things come. It, it's been a, it's been wonderful talking to you and you have a great life if I don't see you again. Thank you so much. Likewise. And thank your wife for setting all up. Yeah. Okay. I awesome. will. Have, have a good day, Charlie. I oh, appreciate that. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Bye. Bye. Now.